Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. As always, it's your boy Mac. Joining me via StreamYard is my friend and co-host Corey Walsh for the sword. How you doing, Corey? Doing great. It's playoff time, baby. <laughs> Indeed, it is. Also joining us are guys from the Junkyard Pod, Tony Pesta and Jackson Flickinger. First off, Tony, how's it going? Doing good, man. Thanks for having us on. Thanks for coming on, man. Talking basketball across the Cavalier landscape these days, is, it just keeps growing broader and broader. So always good to have new opinions on here. And with new opinions being said, Jackson Flickinger, you are making your Is Cavalier debut. Had Tony on before. Thank you for coming on, my friend. Thank you. Just so glad I get another opportunity to yell at Corey. <laughs> <laughs> There's not enough of that on this show as it is. So uh, by all means, go ahead and uh, do away with fire off with your takes. Thanks, guys. That, <laughs> that said, it's it's truly been a hell of a season, fellas. There's been ups. There's been downs. There's been goodbyes to former franchise great Kevin Love. There's been letdowns. There's just been so much shit that's happened this season. And we've gone through all of that just to end up here right where we want to be the cleveland cavaliers will be participating in the playoffs not the play-in but the playoffs for the first time in five fucking seasons that's to me that is insane how amazing is that and i I just gotta say missing the postseason for four straight seasons after getting spoiled with four straight finals trips during this uh the second lebron era will really teach you to appreciate every moment of playoff basketball your team gets to be a part of the moral of the story I'm just happy to be back. So with that being said, what better way to reflect on the season than to hand out some regular season awards? Uh, We're also going to discuss some of our favorite moments from the regular season. Sound good? Sounds great. Right in. Guys, the regular season has shown us so many things from this super duper star that Donovan Mitchell is live and in wine and gold to the subtle leap that Evan Mobley has taken. And to kick things off, in honor of our guests here, let's start with the Junkyard Dog of the Year award. As we all know, the junkyard dog chain typically goes to the guy out there that best displays that dog mentality. I believe Isaac Okoro was the first Cavalier to put that chain on, but since then, many different caps have worn that symbolic chain around their neck. But that said, who is the Cavalier that you feel uh, that you feel best embodied what it means to be a junkyard dog this year? I'm going to flip this off to Jackson first. Um, well, JB would say that it's uh, Lamar Stevens because he – he gets it all the time, but I think the <laughs> I think the right answer here is somebody that you're probably not thinking. I I kind of think it's Jared Allen. Jared Allen's the backbone of this team. He's the one who, you know, we talk about how great Evan Mobley is, but Evan Mobley is able to highlight how great he is because Jared Allen's there to back him up. He's there to provide that backline the defense and allow Mobley to just kind of roam around and just cause cause havoc everywhere. He's the guy who's in there. He's the best rebounder on this team. I think he's kind of like he like without without Jared Allen, this defense isn't the same. And I feel like he gets overlooked just because he's somebody who likes to smile a lot. So <laughs> that would be that would be my vote. I mean, you can't go wrong with that. I mean, I don't honestly, I don't think in a million years you would look at Jared Allen and say, man, this guy's got that dog in him just by looking at him. The facial expressions, just the jovial uh, persona that he he shows out there, um, just very, very polite with fans. But once he steps onto that court, he definitely flips that switch. Corey, how about you? 
um, for my award. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, I thought Jackson was about to take my uh, sneaky sleeper here, but I was going to go with Howell Neto as my junkyard dog award. Cause I feel like the award itself embodies someone who comes out of the show when you least expect it shows the teeth, energizes the team. And it certainly wasn't going to be Ricky Rubio. <laughs> so the, the guard right. that comes off the floor at <laughs> night tonight, when, when have you been displeased with a Howell Neto stretch during a game? The dude aggravates every guy he gets matched up against. He doesn't come out every game. So it kind of, I just, you know, I could zag and just go, oh, it's, it's Lamar Stevens. But, you know, I want to give Howell his flowers because, frankly, we may not even have a chance to see him in the postseason. So this is a regular season award as far as I'm concerned. So, Howell, your award is in the mail. Howell is suited up in 48 games this year. Does he qualify? I mean, considering not the according to Bill Simmons with his 55. <laughs> but, you know, in Corey's rules, uh, 48 is good enough for me. Oh, okay. That's a low bar, my friend. That is a low bar. But I, I do have to agree that Howell is definitely every single time he steps foot on the court, he is highly impactful. He's pesky. Uh, he takes his job very seriously. And I, I very much enjoy that about a role player who is not guaranteed minutes. Anytime you can go out there and just flip that proverbial switch and irritate the opposing player, I, I'm, I'm completely with it. Tony, how about you, man? You know, I'm glad you guys gave Neto and Allen their flowers because I did think for <laughs> for a moment that we might just all go with the basic answer. I am going to be basic, though. I'll stay faithful to it. It's got to be Lamar Stevens for me. I feel like the guy, you know, the, the award is practically named after him at this point. I actually went ahead and counted all the Junkyard Dog winners. Now, if my math is wrong on any of this, don't take it too seriously. Uh, Donovan Mitchell won the most awards, so I don't think is that surprising. He is the best player on the team. He had 10 this year. Allen and Mobley were tied with seven, and Lamar Stevens was in third place with six Junkyard Dog Awards. So if you had to do like per 36 minutes, <laughs> Lamar Stevens is the leader in this in this uh, category. And it just feels like, uh, you know, the same thing with what you said about Neto, where it's like he gets in the game and just makes an impact, and he's kind of that surprise hero. I think back to Lamar Stevens' performance against Boston, which I know we're going to talk about our favorite moments of the season. That's got to be one of them where he just comes in and completely changes the the theme of that game, brings some toughness, some rebounding, hits some big shots down the stretch, and that was like the quintessential Lamar Stevens junkyard dog game, in my opinion. Lamar, one thing's for certain for him. Anytime he steps out there, you're going to feel his presence, uh, for better or worse. It's not, it, it's never truly a wasted minute out there. And I think JB is pretty selective, uh, with how he has chosen to, uh, play Lamar, uh, whether it be matchup dependent or if he's just an injury replacement. Anytime you see Lamar going out there, he, he is genuinely impactful, at least on the defensive end. Maybe not so much offensively because outside of the mid-range game, he, he cannot be trusted uh, from three-point range. But everything that you need out of somebody on the defensive end, uh, he completely brings that to the table. So he does embody that uh, junkyard mentality to me. Now, I know you, I know you said we were uh, possibly all going to think basic here. I strayed away from Lamar, and I know Lamar is a great embodiment of that, but I got to give it to my guy, Isaac Okoro. Uh, because if you're a casual, I mean, we, we, we tend to talk about casuals here in NBA Twitter all the time, but if you're a casual fan and you just look at the stat sheet for Okoro, you're going to see 6.4 points per game. You're going to say, get the fuck out of here. And when you're talking about somebody who's being, uh, 
who's being a valued contributor. And you're probably going to think that's not stats befitting of a former fifth overall pick. And to that, I just simply say it's, it's deeper than that. I think we can all agree that on this specific Cavaliers team, it's truly deeper than the amount of point production that one of these guys provides out there that is not named Darius Garland or Donovan Mitchell or Evan Mobley or Jared Allen. So, you know, Okoro most nights is is the fifth option. And when he shares the fourth with the rest of the stars, he only puts up 4.7 shots per game, doesn't complain to Dan Blick about the amount of shot attempts he gets. Uh, though he has become more and more efficient with his looks. He's averaging a career-high 49.4% from the field, including a career-high 36.3% from three-point range as well. But as we all know, I think the Junkyard Dog Award is probably more synonymous with defense. Can we agree on that? And Yeah. yeah I think I that's the Cavs Hard Hustle Award. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Um where you'd see his true value is is on defense, where he's limited the likes of uh, Jalen Brunson, who we'll talk about here in a little bit, to 2 of 11. C.J. McCollum to 4 of 12. Drew Holiday, 2 of 10. John Morant, 2 of 10. I mean, he's he's as rugged as you can get for a perimeter defender, although he has his flaws. Um, according to J.B. Bickerstaff, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, because this is the last thing I saw, and you can it, it's an ever-changing landscape, uh, Cleveland Twitter, uh, Cavs Twitter, J.B. Bickerstaff said he's day-to-day. Does that still hold true? I honestly just haven't even, you know, let that sink in yet because I'm just praying that Okoro is going to be available. I'm, like, ignoring all the updates. I'm like, he'll be there. He'll be there. I'm not going to think about it. Uh, (laughs) The good news is the Cavs have a lot of break in between games. So even if he's not available game one, I would assume he's going to be available at some point in the series, and that could help, you know, throw a curveball in there if things aren't really getting off on the right foot you add a coral back into the lineup and kind of give them a spark so i'm trying to be optimistic about it and just not think about it really well tony i'm not gonna look- let you get off that easy <laughs> i'm not letting you get off that easy if you don't have Isaac coral in game one are you feeling confident yeah i would just like to put out there though as a disclaimer real quick all of the things i've been saying about the knicks on twitter are just <laughs> disregard everything if Isaac Okoro doesn't play in at least, you know, 90% of this series. So just get that out there. I'm still confident in the Cavs. I think that that last game from Jalen Brunson was, it was, it was a great game from him, but I don't think, I don't think that, you know, he's going to be doing that every single night. If Isaac Okoro is not out there, you know, I don't like what like the Cavs are going to win this series because of how good their core four fit together. I don't think it's going to be because of Isaac Okoro. I think it's a lot easier to see them win comfortably if they have Isaac Okoro, just because how limited their bench is. You know, if you don't have Isaac, you're starting Karis LeVert. That means coming off the bench, you're looking at like, you know, Ricky Rubio, who hasn't been very good, Dean Wade, Lamar Stevens, Jenny Osmond, Danny Green. Like, they're all just huge question marks in, in very different ways. And I think that's where Isaac Okoro hurts you the most is because when you put Isaac Okoro out there, you know what you're getting. You're getting a good defensive guy, you know, everything that everything that we've already said. But I don't think it really changes the calculus of this series. I think that's fair. Are you at all concerned? Because I've seen many people bring this point up. The, the New York bench is legit. They they have a legit bench over there, and especially in comparison to what the the uh, 
the things that Cleveland is working with. Outside of Karis LeVert, he was probably the only lock in the rotation at this point from the bench perspective. Are you at all concerned about the minutes when the starters are having to sit and take a breather, specifically at the four and five positions? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's a concern, but I also at the same time feel like, you know, having depth one through 12 or having that deep of a rotation in the playoffs can be a little overrated, just especially when you look at the Cavs. Their core four is going to be playing so many minutes every night. Really, all you need from that bench is like, hey, just don't completely fall off a cliff and we'll be fine. And the next bench is good. They're solid. But that's just how I would describe them. I don't think they're the type of bench that is going to kill you in a series, uh, especially, again, just because the Cavs have four players who are going to be playing big minutes. It's not like a situation in Denver where you have Jokic and then if anyone else is on the court and he's not there, they just plummet. I think the Cavs are going to be fine. I think they have the luxury, too, of the fact that Garland and Mitchell, you can stagger them. Allen and Mobley, you can stagger them. Maybe it won't be as effective with just one or two of them out there, but you really, as long as you're, and this is where it could really hurt them is if there's any sort of injuries, but as long as everyone's healthy and able to go 40 minutes, it's not that big of a concern for me. It is an area that I would give the Knicks an edge, though, for sure. Yeah, I mean, if you uh, if you've paid it, you know, I've seen some of the comments on some of your recent uh, recent videos, and boy, oh boy, it's these getting New wild. York fans. <laughs> it is getting, it's getting wild. spicy already. Very, very uh, spicy, as uh, <laughs> as my wife would say sometimes. Uh, we've kind of strayed away from the award, so I'm gonna reel this back in here. Next up is the underperformer of the year, and I don't even know if that really should be the title of the award, but that's what we're gonna call today. Uh, sometimes a player can come into the season with a level of expectation that they have trouble meeting when it's time to lace them up. No matter how good, no matter how bad, every team has one. The Cavs are no different. With that being said, is there a Cavalier that you feel has failed to perform? In other words, who does the underperformer of the year label go to? I'm going to head to you first, Corey, on this one. Uh, what a wild ride it's been is all I'll say, because <laughs> Dean Wade is my recipient of that award. How Dean dare Wade. you on the, on the Dean Wade podcast? It's no longer a Dean Wade podcast. <laughs> I have shifted to Sam Merrill. And if you don't want to hop on me and Jackson, will start a separate one. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, Dean Wade gets a huge contract deserving at the beginning of this season. You kind of had expectations going from the talk of, is he going to be potentially be, the three for this team are they going to try to stick with tall ball then it didn't really lay out that way and now he gets injured comes back it's just been a really poor stretch from dean wade and you can't say that the staff hasn't been trying to reinvigorate him at times i mean they gave him more time off after the to just kind of mentally reset because you could tell that something was off he was really tense and apprehensive at shooting but then they throw him back in the starting lineup towards the end of the season due to injury, not because they're like, wow, Dean, you've been doing such a good job bricking all your threes. <laughs> and now here we are. And I wouldn't really – I only see Dean Wade going on the floor if it schematically makes sense or they just figure – like JB needs to break glass in case of an emergency because 
I mean, the Cavs bench in general, we were just talking about it. It's very underwhelming for the most part. But in comparison to the Knicks, it's atrocious, in my opinion. But, uh, yeah, no. Dean, uh, you've been underperforming. You didn't come on this podcast. So, from me, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> That's my we're still pretty. You sound very bitter about that one. I mean, uh, Dean Wade has appeared in 44 games this season, averaging 4.7 points, 35.4% from three-point range, which is like – kind of the differentiating factor i felt like heading into the season that separated him from isaac okoro uh karis lamar stevens um he was truly considered to be a guy who could set himself apart as a shooter uh but he has been quite disappointing this season it's not my pick but uh i could definitely see where you're coming from does anybody else agree with this is dean wade the underperformer of the year that was that was who i had uh I, I wouldn't be as harsh as Corey. Um, <laughs> I think that <laughs> F bombs on the guy. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, I think there's been a lot of factors that, that have gone into why I think Dean has been underperforming. I think when we saw Dean play his best was last season when uh, Lowry was out for am stretch there. He was able to kind of be Lowry light. And I think that's kind of a role that he's actually better suited for i think some of the games that we've seen recently where he's played better he's been able to kind of play the three playing the four is a little bit i feel like it's just not a position he's as comfortable in so and that's kind of what the Cavs have asked asked from him since kevin love has been bought out so i think he's just in a bad spot um but yeah he's definitely gonna be that guy for me tony do you agree with this one as well yeah, you know, I, I was going to pick Dean Wade when we first talked about this, but I, I'm going to have to shift, and Jackson just mentioned him. I'm going to have to pick Kevin Love just because, I mean, he literally played his way off the team. <laughs> like, this is a guy, and just for a very brief aside, when we talk about whether or not the Cavs improved this year, everyone likes to point to the Mitchell trade and how much we gave up. I think a big thing that people seem to overlook is the fact that the team won 51 games, and Kevin Love and Ricky Rubio were basically non-factors all season. And when you look at what they brought to the, t- the table last year, they were both six men in the race when they were both healthy. And so it's like, you know, you lose both of those guys, essentially, and the Cavs still end up winning 51 games looking this good. I just they're, – they're such a better team than they were last year. That was just a very brief aside that I had to point out. But, I mean, yeah, Kevin Love, it's like – I don't think he could play much worse than he was uh, before he was out of the rotation and then eventually on his way to Miami. So it's hard not to say that he was the biggest underperformer, uh, but to touch on Dean Wade, cause he was my original pick. Uh, yeah. I think it's just been a, a series of unfortunate events for him. I think at the start of the year, he looked like a very solid fit there when he was playing the three and then he gets injured. Lavert gets hot. Okoro turns the corner as a shooter. And it's like, his spot in the rotation just wasn't as solidified. And I think we saw the confidence reflect that and it's just been downhill ever since, but I am hopeful that Dean Wade will get an opportunity in the playoffs. I think JB is kind of giving him minute. He gave him minutes down the stretch of the season and I think he's going to give him a chance. So I would be very happy if Dean Wade could get himself out of this discussion and maybe in a few weeks we'll be (laughs) talking about him a little differently, but I don't know. I don't know if he can win Corey back at this point. For the record, I, uh, I don't hate Dean Wade as a person. I don't (laughs) think he, uh, overall is a shitty player just for the record. Uh, Corey's just saying that to save face. At no, I don't care. People, 
people <laughs> shit on me on Twitter, and that's the most interaction I'll get all year. So for the Kevin, <laughs> for the Dean Wade people out there, come at me. I will say that, you know, depending upon what happens with Isaac Okoro, you could see Dean Wade play a lot more minutes than uh, if Okoro were healthy. I'll put it that way. Uh, for me, it's it's Ricky Rubio. Um, and, you know, feel free to disagree. And I, I honestly, I hate that because I feel like coming into the season, we really talked about how much of a stabilizer he is for that second unit. And just, I don't know if it's me. Maybe I'm overreacting because he is coming off of a pretty major injury. But it just he has not seemed as impactful. And I don't know if it's because the players around him, because I feel like Rubio is one of the guys who can really, truly raise the floor of shooters around him. But the Cavs just don't have solid shooting. I mean, it's not like they had it last year, but they had guys who could, you know, perform at a little bit higher of a level. When you're talking about a Kevin Love out there, you could knock down shots. Uh, Jetty Osman was decent enough. Um, you know, you'd feature him in lineups with Dean Wade and you saw some of the best basketball played out of those guys. So for me, it's, it's definitely been Rubio. And honestly, we've gotten to the point where we're seriously considering, um, or at least some fans, uh, are seriously considering whether or not Hal Nettle should receive some of those minutes, if not a complete swap. Um, how are you guys feeling about Rubio season? Uh, so one thing I'd say about Rubio is that his fit with last year's team made him seem more valuable than he probably actually was. The Cavs really had no ball, no ball handlers on that team. Mm-hmm. And they had guys who needed people to set them up like Lowry Markinen. So when you put them on a team this year with Donovan Mitchell, Karis LeVert and Darius Garland, he's kind of not really providing that hole because, you know, Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland and Karis LeVert are, you know, better off the dribble guys than, than I'm Ricky Rubio. So I think that's a lot of where you get that feeling from. And on top of that, Ricky Rubio hasn't been very good. So, you know, (laughs) I think it's just, I think it's just like a perfect combination. Like even if you had last year's version of Ricky Rubio, he's probably, he's not having the same impact on this team. I think that's completely fair too. And I think for me, I think after watching him have this season that he had last year, it kind of just took me away from his actual, like when you look at the bare bone statistics for Ricky Rubio, he has never been a guy that you could put in the same sentence with efficiency. I mean, case in point, shooting 34.3% from the field, not from three, but from the damn field this year, um, 25.6% from three-point range, and even worse. Like when I was looking at this the other day, 38.8% career average from the field. I don't know if it's just like the wine and gold colored glasses that I was wearing last season um, painted a different picture, but Rubio just, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just father time. Maybe it's the injury, but he just has not seemed to have the same type of impact that he had last season. One and, thing I, oh, sorry. No, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, one thing I will say about Rubio is that his impact numbers are still good. Like he's still, the Cavs have been a, good team when he's been on the floor it's looked ugly and i think there's you know there's some noise in those in those stats and i don't think he's somebody who you probably want on the floor especially in a series against the knicks when you can kind of you know kind of get that playmaking from keeping two of you know garland mitchell and lavert on the court and you'd rather have more length out there but i like he was really good last year and i think he kind of still isn't as far off as what we think he is. I mean, I can see a reality in which 
maybe if you surround him with players that he can truly uplift some shooters out there, Rubio's presence probably look a hell of a lot better. Um, and he, he ranks within the 97th percentile on assist percentage. Uh, you know, he, he's got some of the advanced statistics do point him in the direction of being impactful. It's just the eye test just says otherwise. And that's kind of where you have the, the balancing act here, I suppose, when you're talking about evaluating a player, but Rubio, the eyes just, my eyes bleed. I'm not going to lie. Whenever, whenever he's on the court, sometimes my eyes just bleed because we already know, you know, he's not a noted defender. He's never been a guy that's truly been uh, really predicated on athleticism. It's not beautiful basketball to watch, but the passes are still there. They're still beautiful. The shooting is just atrocious. So I don't know. It's just kind of a mixture of things. Uh, moving on from that, though, Every team has a player who doesn't get the recognition they deserve despite being critical to the success of the team as a whole. The Cavs could probably honestly make a case for a few. But with that being said, who do you feel is the unsung hero of this Cleveland Cavaliers team? Corey, you're first up. Uh, this is in honor of Tony's peddling. But unless uh, Evan Mobley wins Defensive Player of the Year, he is my unsung hero uh, for this Cavaliers team. Not only is the media now not they seem like they're somewhat turning the corner. So Tony should look into a career into propaganda for some European countries, but I've been pushing uh, it for a while now. Can't, <laughs> it's not but uh, I mean, he got to the hierarchs here, but yeah, no Mobley really um, you can say all you want. You can write all the articles you want about how great Evan Mobley is. It really doesn't truly say how integral he is to this Cavs team. He kind of is the identity. And I don't think people realize that yet. I think they look at Donovan Mitchell's, stats they look at how he's going to be like a first team guard possibly his scoring output but Mobley his ascension has been so crucial to this next step for the Cleveland Cavaliers it seemed like through the first half of the season we kind of were seeing the same team but with a new coat of paint and then once the questions started coming up about is Mobley taking that jump or is this going to be a slower progress process than we initially thought once he defensive side's always been there offensively, he's turned into a completely different player. He's much more aggressive. He does. He can still obviously play very well in the flow of the game. That's kind of one of his strengths, the way he's a connective tissue for others way. He's kind of turning into a hub, but defensively he is just insane. He obviously his ability to move all around the court, defend guards and forwards opens up a lot for the team. Jared Allen said that in an interview with Michael Pina of the ringer that, yeah, he basically is the identity of the defense, his ability to guard all sides of the court. So I, a lot of people do know Evan Mobley is great. I'm not breaking any news whatsoever. <laughs> so, but yeah, Mobley, I think still is deserves a lot more flowers than he's getting. That's why I'm going to disqualify your answer because I feel like everybody's talking about Evan Mobley in regards to this team. It's hot. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, you can certainly make a case for Mobley as the unsung hero because, you know, this is a team that is led. Uh, by Donovan Mitchell at this point. He he came in and, and, and took that title from Darius Garland uh, from last season. And Evan Mobley probably just doesn't get enough recognition in regards to, especially on the defense bin. Uh, I mean, we, we clearly see what's going on right now with the defensive player of the year rankings. Um, and my boy is probably going to get robbed again, but it's it's all good. You know, the ultimate, we're, we're not here really to 
handouts, hardware. We, we don't care about regular season hardware. That's what I'm trying to say. At the end of the day, we, we want that trophy. And I think Evan Mobley would probably say the same thing himself. Um, I'm, I'm glad he's not out there campaigning for the award like uh, like Joel Embiid is really pining for the MVP. <laughs> but uh, you can certainly make a case for him being the unsung hero. Jackson, do you agree with this? Uh, I mean, I love I love I love Evan Evan Mobley, but he's he not who, No, he don't agree. <laughs> yeah, um, I want to go with Karis with him, Karis Levert here, um, which is wow. odd because I'm not I've I haven't been the biggest Karis Levert supporter, but he's really turned a corner, and he just he's been able to provide what this team needs most recently. Um, he's been that secondary creator on ball. He's been a guy who's been able to spot up a lot, a lot more, and he's really fit in well with the core, with the core four. When, when he's out there with the core four, they are outscoring opponents by 16.2 points per 100 possessions. That is a ton that, you know, and it really just goes to how Karis has kind of, changed his game as the M season's gone on. He's since the M all-star break, he's shooting a, a much higher percentage of his shots from three, which is really cut down on what he, his worst impulses are. And also he's been, that's also helped him provide what this team needs most. The damn mid range shots. Yeah. That's, that's honestly my pick too, for unsung hero Karis Levert, because to me, his role has shifted like 15 million times this year. Uh, you know, he's bounced back and forth between the starting lineup and the bench, be it by necessity or whether or not JB just kind of wanted a different look out there. Um, as we saw, you know, to start the season, I don't I don't know about you guys, but I certainly did not pick Karis Levert to start at the three to begin the season. But, you know, he started off very, very well uh, from three point range, two point range. That's a different story uh, to start the season now. But I'm glad, as Jackson indicated, that he's kind of switched up where he's taking those shots from. And he's kind of molded himself to fit what the Cavaliers need at the time that he's out there. Um, since March 1st, a span of 16 games, Levert is averaging 14.1 points, 3.6, uh, 3.6 rebounds and three and a half assists while converting over 51% from the field, including 48.8% of his triples, which is Big time to me. And Tony, uh, I know you and I kind of think alike in regards to this because we've pushed Levert propaganda all season long, especially on Twitter. Um, how are you feeling about the unsung hero? I got to go, Karis Levert. I appreciate the uh, Mobley propaganda wow. from Corey. I, I love it. <laughs> Listen, I know we said that Mobley probably doesn't care much about the award, but I care. And I, I'll do the campaigning for him so he can he can just focus on being a generational two-way player. But uh, <laughs> as for Karis Levert, I mean, if we're talking about unsung hero, I don't think many people have, have given Karis Levert his praise. I think they've done the opposite. I think there's been a lot of hatred thrown his way. I think he's been tossed in the fire at various points in the season. Some of it, if not much of it, is very deserved at times. He has had some horrible games. But I will say I have been the guy who, even when Karis LeVert was 1 for 11 against Thunder, I was sitting there saying he's actually not playing that bad. Like, he's missing shots. Shots just weren't falling. For the most part, he's still playing within the flow of the offense. Besides, as everyone knows, those mid-range shots that he has moved away from. But – no, that was so integral to his game throughout his career. 
And that's a tough habit to break, especially for someone who was struggling to shoot at various points. Like it's such a natural thing to go back into your rhythm shots. And when that's not falling, things get really tough. But Karis LeVert, since the trade deadline, has been such a huge part of this team. As we have mentioned, Rubio being one of the underperformers, I can't imagine what this team looks like if you don't have Karis LeVert there to be that guard off the bench and help them. I think, you know, when we look at last season, how things just completely, you know, the Cavs fell off a cliff once uh, Rubio was gone because they just didn't have a bench player who could bring that type of playmaking. I think you're looking at a similar situation this year if LeVert doesn't turn the corner like he has and has has played such a great two-way game since the trade deadline. And uh, just to highlight it, I mean, he's shooting nearly 40% career high from the three-point line on four attempts a game. Like, that's a big change for a player who never really, you know, lived behind the three-point line. I wouldn't say that he's gotten to that point yet, but he's taken everything he's been asked to do, and he's put in the work, and it's starting to pay off at the right time. Yeah, I mean, he truly turned the perception of him around, especially on social media, because you couldn't go a day – Hell, you couldn't go one minute without scrolling the good old timeline and seeing some Levert slander, and it was getting way out of hand. Jackson, I see well, you chomping at the bit to say something. <laughs> well, I was it getting out of hand. He was, he was, he was playing awful. I think it was. I think. See, for me, and I, I love this because me and Corey always. I feel like our, our, our brains in regards to Levert have just become become so entwined with the resurgence happening at all. Uh, but I, I love the the deferring opinions on this because even when he was playing poorly or appeared to be playing poorly on the statue, no, I always he was felt, playing poorly. <laughs> I felt like he always brought other things to the table, though, because you know even with Rubio missing so much time, pretty much the first half of the season, he was a willing and capable passer. You've seen some of the best dump off passes to the bigs come from Karis Levert. Um, he has really stepped it up on the defensive end this season. I I wouldn't hesitate to say this might be his best season as a defender because he always had the tools, he had the length, he's got that kind of awkward uh, awkward speed that he plays at. But on the defensive end of the court, I feel like he's always brought it. And so with the shots not falling, I always felt it was a matter of time. Like when that started to happen, I felt like you're really truly going to see just how good of a player Oliver is. But I. Which, let, me, let me just ask you this. Were you at the point at the deadline when you're like, get this guy the fuck off the team, get him out of here? Is that how you were feeling? No, because he was like one of three people who can dribble and one of three people <laughs> who can shoot. So, like, you kind of needed him. And if you were going to trade him, you needed somebody who was better at those things. And if you're trading for Levert, you're probably not giving up somebody who's better at those things. So, <laughs> that's, that's where it was like, it's just really tough. Like, it was a tough situation. I do see what you're saying when you're saying like the tools were there, but that's kind of been like Karis Levert's career where you've always seen the tools and we saw like those, like I think January was a really rough month for him and we saw those tools, but it's like, yeah, he can make nice dump off passes to the bigs, but when his defender just completely leaves him and just goes to the big and he takes that 15 footer that he misses like, you know, 70% of the time, that's basically AM turnover, you know, like it doesn't show up in the stat sheet as a turnover, but that's a wasted possession. And we were seeing stuff like that. We were seeing on the, on the defensive end, he was a little too jumpy. This is when like in January, when the team was, I think over helping off of three point shooters, Karis Levert was one of the worst culprits of this, where he would just leave his guy and then come back, close out way too hard and then get a foul. 
So, you know, I think the tools were always there and you can see that while this guy could be what the Cavs desperately need, but he wasn't that guy. And it just seems like, you know, after the deadline, I think he just was in a better place of mind. He kind of was able to get acclimated to what this team needs. And that's something that he never was able to do last season. And I think that's where you saw everything click, but he wasn't good (laughs) before that. (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. I I get the sense that, uh, you know, your, your mindset, I think kind of aligns with the, the, the greater mindset in terms of the general fan base. And there's no issue with that because when you watch, it's kind of like what I was saying with the eye test with Rubio. For me, it's kind of the reverse. I, I see Karis. I see him doing these things out here. I'm like, man, if the shots can only fall, I would. you probably hear less people talking about how shitty of a game Karis has had. But when you see him take out the, uh, go out there and take these mid-range attempts and kind of stifle the offense, um, it, it was definitely hurting the team. He just, for whatever reason, he just was so damn inefficient from inside the three-point line, uh, really had been all season. It still is kind of having some of those issues. If you look at his uh, you know, his shooting splits from mid-range area, when he's taking those, they still do not favor him, although that is his preferred shot, which is, to me, kind of crazy. Uh, but just overall, a season in its entirety, I feel like now, since the start of March, um, the guy has kind of changed the perception, uh, you know, and I think that a lot of fans would be okay re-signing Karis LeVert. And I don't think that's something that you could have said prior to the deadline because I feel like many people wanted his ass out of here. And, um, you know, you have some people saying it's justifiably so. You have other people like myself saying, just wait, <laughs> the, the shots are going to fall. But, uh, you know, I certainly can't blame you for that. Well, the thing that I'd say is that it's not necessarily that the shots are falling now. Like the three-point shots are definitely, you know, where where he's probably unsustainably hot. But those mid-range shots still were never falling. He's shooting no. He's shooting 33% on shots inside the three-point line that aren't like layups. Mm-hmm. That's awful. It's what's changed is he's taking threes. He's not settling for those mid-range shots. Like he'll settle for one or two a game. But it used to be four or five a game. And that just adds up when you're replacing no shots with catch-and-shoot three-pointers. So that's where it's like he's gotten – he's just more bought in and more comfortable with the system, I think. And I think that's Absolutely. a credit to the coaching staff. Too. Yeah, it really is. He's he's up to taking 2.9 catch-and-shoot triples uh, this Ooh. season and hitting them on a very, very comfortable 39-plus percent. Right. So I'm very, very happy with the production spike that he's had this season, at least in that regard. Um, <clears throat> moving on from that, let's talk about a bigger award, one that's probably – uh, not even a question, but I think we kind of talked about this before we went live here. Most improved Cavalier. Now, I think there are some deferring opinions here, so I'm not going to say this is going to be a consensus. I'm just going to go ahead and ask each one of you because I feel like there are, people are just going to go different routes here. So, Tony, I'm handing this off to you first. Who is the Cavalier's most improved player? <laughs> You know, I, I've been second-guessing my pick this entire broadcast, but I'm going to stick with it. <laughs> you know, I got to go with Isaac Okoro, and I don't know if that's a weird answer. but Damn I, it! <laughs> I, just <feel> like if, <laughs> I just feel like if we're looking at this season especially, where he started the first 28 games or whatever to where he is now, I mean, that's night and day. 
And there was a real case where he, this season could have just been a disaster for Okoro with the way he started. I mean, it, it really couldn't have gotten off to a worse foot. And he has completely turned it around. He is shooting, I, I want to double-check this real quick, a career high from the three-point line, 36%. And the volume is not there, of course, but I think, you know, he's still young. This is the step that you needed to see him take at this point at 22 years of age. If he doesn't take this step, then we start to really ask, okay, is, is Okoro even going to be able to fit long-term with this team? Does he need to be moved? But he has turned the corner, I believe, in terms of his efficiency. Now he needs to get the volume there. But as we have mentioned before, Okoro uh, isn't out there for his offense. The reason why he plays so many minutes and he's in the starting lineup is because he's one of the best point-of-attack defenders in the NBA. He brings so much on that side of the ball that if he can continue to take these little steps forward, he's going to be a really, really good player in the NBA, and he's going to help this team a lot. His size, his height is one thing that's always going to be a concern just because it's really hard to sneak him into that lineup at the three. But with Mobley and Allen, I think it helps. And I just have to I just have to go with the Coro. I think whoever you guys pick are going to be great picks too because there's so many guys here who I think have taken leaps this season. But I'll ride with Ice for this one. Uh, I think that's completely fair. I mean, 4.7 attempts per game and 2.1 of those have come via the catch and shoot. And he's hitting that at a rate of 36 point six percent from the field i think that's always going to be something that people are going to question like where's the volume where's the volume where's the volume but honestly i just don't see especially with the pace that the cavaliers play at i don't see that volume increasing anytime soon unless jb just has some type of epiphany uh you know heading into the playoffs or next season rather i just don't see how isaac is able to get those attempts up in the starting unit when you have so much potent offensive players and Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland, who, you know, Donovan alone, I think it's taken like 20 plus shots a game. Um, you know, Darius is up there you got, um, Evan averaging about 12, I think. And then Jared is going to get his too. So that leaves an odd man out in a coral. And like we all know, like his biggest contributions come on the defensive end of the court, but as long as he can continue to be efficient with the looks that he gets from range, I don't care if defenses pay attention to him or not, as long as he's hitting them shots. <laughs> uh Corey, who is uh, your most can, improved? Can I add something real quick before we move on? Sure. About Okoro. In terms of uh his improvements too, I think not only has he improved as a shooter, but also his off-ball movement. I think it's been a huge thing as the season has gone on. He is no longer just standing in the corner at times. He is making defenses pay for just completely ignoring him. And he's been going back door, get playing in the dunker spot a little more. Still can improve quite a bit, but I had to highlight that there as it came into my head. That's another big improvement that he's made throughout the year. Yeah, he, you know, in seasons past, he could just be prone to standing out in that corner and kind of looking stagnant out there and just waiting for the ball to come his way. And this season, he's had to get a little bit more creative considering the lack of touches. Corey, who is your most improved player? Uh, I thought I was going to be the only one to pick a Coro, so this is an absolute bummer. But uh, I won't repeat any of Tony's points. I agree with all of them, obviously. But I think the thing that's most impressive about a Coro that truly is like the best like encapsulation of it is he's going from last season at this time where he literally had no chance to be on the court in the Brooklyn game, got played out, and then didn't really get a lot of shine in the Atlanta game either. And now we're looking at this Knicks series and, and at least in the eyes of Tony and I, our entire vision of this series is completely different. If Isaac isn't on the floor, I mean, 
I know there's people out there, cough, cough, Jackson, that think otherwise uh, <laughs> that if Isaac's not out there, it doesn't mean it's not uh, the nail in the coffin that I feel like it could be. And it's just not I'm not one either saying that uh, the Brunson game is indicative that, oh, God, if Okoro's not out there, we're absolutely fucked because that that Brunson game was the equivalent of like when a good player gets hot and. The playoffs are a different beast, obviously. They're going to be able to scheme and prevent. Like, playoff basketball is when you take a player's first, second, and third favorite options away offensively and try to force them into situations they're not used to. And that Cavs lineup that they got thrown out was one of the more weak defensive lineups they could have had all night. So I would have been shocked if Brunson had a bad night overall. And uh, Okoro deserves this award i think because he definitely lost a lot of fans i think within the donovan mitchell transaction in that offseason because then it just became well now that we have donovan mitchell we basically have our second superstar that can add to help darius on the offensive end because i think people think of isaac's not a max player he's not necessarily a valuable player i think that's how people who are drafted in the top five are usually viewed which is the most unrealistic expectation i think of all time how many top five picks do we ever see that truly translate there's a reason why when players like lebron anthony edwards anthony davis get taken at one and they actually turn out to what they expect people are impressed Okoro was part of one of the weirdest draft classes of all time and I think if it's one that is going to be looked at and picked and prodded for years to come because it was just such an interesting time I think Okoro unfortunately was a victim of his draft class I don't think he was ever going to be a top five type of player but the Cavs knew what they needed at that time, and he's providing exactly what they drafted him for, defensive efficiency, and he's showing growth on the offensive end. So, frankly, I'm very impressed with Okoro, and I would be upset if the Cavs don't see him really in the long-term plans, especially because I don't think he's going to be as hard to keep as other players in his draft class. Where would you forecast his contractual value to be at this point? Uh, fifth. 12 to 15 a year maybe (laughs) (laughs) you guys agree with that (laughs) don't ask me about salary stuff i i wouldn't be able to give you i always agree with corey oh yeah (laughs) yeah jackson we are always so close (laughs) oh since you're in agreement with corey who is your most improved player uh not isaac okoro uh and i'm not even going to talk about that because we don't need to um my my most improved player is so i have two so and I can't really decide between both of them, but my first one is Donovan Mitchell. He's, I think we don't quite understand how much he's improved this season from who he was last year. There was a reason that jazz team fell apart at the end. And he was a big part of that. People were questioning if he could be on a, you know, a good playoff defensive team. We haven't seen him play defense in the playoffs, but we've seen him play throughout the entire regular season. He's really stepped up and bought in on that end. While he's also become a better scorer and a more efficient scorer, this is his best. Like this is his best year shooting from three. He's getting to the free throw line more than he ever has before. He's really just bought in, become a better player, and been a more complete player. So. And that's and that's bearing out here where he's going to get his first 
he's probably going to be first team all all NBA. He's never made an all NBA team before. He was never a um, all star starter before. He was never player of the month before. And these are all things that he's doing here while possibly even being on a team that doesn't fit him as well on the um, offensive end. So I really think he's the guy here that has improved the most. And he's the biggest reason why the Cavs are where they are. I can't argue with that. I mean, there are legitimately a number of guys you could probably lay claim to most improved player, as you guys have named a few already. Um, Donovan Mitchell is the only Cavalier not named LeBron James to finish with a top 10 scoring mark in any single season in Cavalier history with 28.3 points. Not, he, he's fifth in Cleveland history in one season. He's managed to show you just how potent of a scorer he is. And I, I absolutely love that, you know. I, I don't relish the conversations of, well, you know, how many championships or, you know, how long before Donovan Mitchell becomes better than LeBron talks, because I'm sure we've all seen that by now. But he's shown you just how valuable he is. Um, you know, he may not be the all-around type of player that a LeBron is, but, man, like, I think we have seriously witnessed one of the greatest regular seasons of really any any Cavalier, maybe any player in the NBA in, in a long time. Just speaking of what he's been able to do, um, saw him put up a historic 71-point performance against the Chicago Bulls. That game was insane. Uh, Jackson, since this is your most improved player, is there like a one game outside of that 71-point performance that comes to mind for you that was like his apex? So – I really like two games. I think that Lakers game where LeBron came home, you know, the Cavs ha- hadn't beaten LeBron at home since 2011, I believe. They beat him his first year in Miami, but they hadn't beat him since then. And they kind of got punked many times, including <laughs> yeah. last year oh when the Lakers were in the middle of a tailspin and the Cavs came out. They got off to like a big lead, but then they just gave it all all the way as LeBron just did LeBron things against them. And this year, you know, that didn't happen because the Cavs had the best player on the court that night. And that was Donovan Mitchell. So that's one that I really thought that he kind of, you know, he kind of grabbed the torch from LeBron and we hadn't seen anybody in a Cavalier uniform do that ever. And then the other game I would, I'm thinking of is I believe it was like January or February. The Cavs were playing the, Pacers and they were looking pretty flat and it seemed like it was just going to be another frustrating loss mm-hmm. and he got tied up with a um, Pacer it was a jump ball and he just refused to let go of the ball for some reason and that just kind of sparked something in him that he just took over the fourth quarter and allowed the Cavs to win that game a game that they had no business winning and that's just the kind of things that Donovan Mitchell has done all season he's just he's just relentless and he just has such a will to win yeah there's countless games this season that have looked like l's but mitchell has really carried us through and i think we've all you know we'd be crazy to think anything else in that like um he is just such a force on the offensive side of the ball and he has i don't know if it's jb bickerstaff i don't know if it's like the connection that he has with these guys but he's gotten pretty much everybody to buy in defensively donovan mitchell included um, I'm really anxious to see what he looks like defensively in the playoffs. 
because um, that, you know, as you alluded to earlier, has been one of the talking points in his Utah Jazz days. So I'm really hoping that he is able to shake that narrative and, you know, turn things around here because if anything, you know, if we know anything, it's that Donovan Mitchell, he can carry you to a win, you know, whether it be on the offensive end of the ball, um, defensive side of the ball remains to be seen. But I've just absolutely enjoyed this season that we've seen from him. I'm honestly not sure we'll see another one like it next year. Uh, but I'm just very much enjoying the moment that we have. Uh, for me, it's you know it's Evan Mobley. I'm going to take the cheap way out here. Um, you know the stat sheets. While he is averaging career highs across the board, it's not going to necessarily indicate that he's having like some off the wall um, most improved season by any traditional sense. You know, a lot of the times when you're talking about the most improved player, you see a considerable spike in numerous categories. Um, it, you have not necessarily seen that in the traditional stats from Mobley, but he is putting up career highs everywhere. And his impact is felt on both sides of the ball, especially defensively. We know, as Corey mentioned earlier uh, in the article about Michael Pina, the everybody knows that he is the the straw that kind of stirs the drink. You know, he allows um, he allows things to kind of stick together on the defensive side of the ball. He he can move out to the perimeter and defend some of the quickest guards in the game. He can get into the paint and be like a true rim protector, um, you know, and that's even with Jared Allen being out there. And I think that's why so many people are comfortable keeping Jared Allen because those two kind of work as a tandem. It, it, it's a beautiful thing. And I think, you know, when he was drafted, and I just kind of want to get your guys' opinions on this. I'll go to Tony first. When Mobley was first selected, did you envision him taking over that center position? I don't think so. I think I, you know, prior to – actually, I don't remember what I thought at that time. I think my <laughs> biggest concern was Laurie Markkinen, honestly, in the starting lineup. That's what I was concerned about. I didn't think they could do the three bigs. I think I was fine with Mobley and Allen, though. Um you know, it's just mainly because of his weight was mm-hmm. my thing. I was like, he probably does fit at the power forward spot. So that wasn't as much of a concern. And I do think uh, in terms of improving, he's added a lot of muscle. Uh, I haven't been he able to He came in at 215, it. I think. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I was struggling to find the exact number of how much he added. But just by looking at him, he looks much stronger. He looks much more comfortable. There's still moments where he gets knocked off his path. But I just think that has been one of the biggest uh, areas of improvement for him is just looking stronger, looking more confident, and everything just seems to be taking shape for him. I think the game has slowed down quite a bit, and as we've seen, I think he has some of the best fourth quarter stats, if I'm correct, in the clutch, Uh, and we've seen his defense really turn it up in the fourth. I think he is becoming a player where, and this was also in the Ringer article too, it's like he just learns the game so quickly. You give him three quarters against a team, and he starts to pick up on what they're doing, and in the fourth quarter, he's able to completely shut it down. So that is a huge uh, area of improvement for him, too. Jackson, when he was first drafted, did you see him eventually taking over that center position, or were you kind of feeling the same way Tony was, where you were okay with the fit between him and Allen? So I was – so I just wanted Jalen Green, and that's (laughs) – Well, thank you for admitting that. (laughs) Yeah, so I was – I was – yeah, I was just wrong about that, and I wasn't sure that they would fit, especially on the offensive side of the ball, and I – think that we all thought, hey, Mobley has to become like a good three-point shooter for this to work. And he has not become a good three-point shooter, and it's worked tremendously. So I think that just kind of speaks to how skilled he is and how 
he's able to just do what he does best, but do it within the structure of the offense. And that's, it's hard to like talk about or really quantify, but he's just a really smart player who can do stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, to your point, he's actually shooting less or less efficiently than he did last season from three point range on the, basically the same amount of attempts. So he has not become a three point shooter at all that can be relied upon, but he's so damn skilled uh, inside of the arc that uh, it doesn't matter. He can offset that. And I, I I do agree with you on the point that coming into that draft, I was thinking, Hey, if they're going to take this guy and I absolutely love the pick, uh, but if they were going to take the guy, I kind of felt one of these guys has to develop a, a perimeter game. And we haven't seen that thus far from Jared Allen. So there's no reason for me to believe that it's going to be him. Uh, Mobley, at least at his one season at USC, was putting some shots up. Uh, so I, I did feel that that was going to be kind of like a prerequisite for him in order for that tandem to work. But they've really made me eat my words on that one. Um, very, very happy to admit that. Uh, moving on, though, to an award that I think is maybe going to be a consensus. But I don't know. You guys could you guys could totally fuck me up on this one. Uh, team MVP. I'm going to go to Corey first on that. Who is the team MVP? Uh, Howell Neto. Um, no, uh, it's Donovan Mitchell. Uh, the guy, uh, I don't come up with Mitchell and the Mitchettes because uh, <laughs> he hasn't done his job at carrying the weight. Did you coin that? Uh, no one else is going to have the guts to say it. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's wrong. <laughs> Jackson, I think it skews him out more than anything that I just throw Mitchell and the Machettes out there. <laughs> You're just really underselling the value of a Darius Garland and a Evan Mobley and, you know, on and on, Jared. Oh, it's well, not I, that at all. It's just uh, when Donovan puts his head down, 95% of the time, great things happen. No, no reason to complain. The 5%, though, it's aggravating to watch. <laughs> and that's just uh it was a hot take feed jackson god damn it <laughs> you right, but, but aren't you supposed to like believe the hot take so if you believe this hot take then i can still call you out on it <laughs> but i'm not <laughs> oh whatever <laughs> i am never right. tweeting on one of those forums ever again i know jackson has like alerts on if it's in one of those but no yeah, one made no. you do it <laughs> It was one of the most interactive tweets of all time, Jackson. The algorithm liked it. <laughs> Elon no, loved it. The, we're blaming the algorithm right, right. now. Yeah, no. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, uh, we got what we wanted. We wanted someone who would help Darius because I felt at times last year, Darius, he was kind of playing out of his own comfort zone, which was good for his growth as a player, I think, because all the complaints were for the years leading up to last season that Darius and Colin Sexton were good scorers. They just never put up the volume that the team was really looking for, especially from the perimeter. They were players who, well, Colin wasn't really looking to help others, but Darius's mission, I think was to hand the ball around. Yeah. Sorry, Haram, if you're listening. Um, (laughs) But overall, um, yeah, I think they got exactly what they wanted. And in fact, it helped Darius in a way that I was kind of wondering how the two would coexist, but it naturally just turned into the Donovan being the a and Darius being a very good B option for this team. But uh, to safe to say, I mean, what else hasn't been said about Donovan Mitchell that needs to be said? If there's any reason that we're where we are today, it's because of Donovan Mitchell. I think the team would have been good last year. Last year's roster carried into this year would have also been good with everyone coming back. But it's also safe to say that I don't think we have the ceiling that we do now 
without Donovan Mitchell on this roster. I think that's completely fair to say. I'm just going to stop the press now and say my pick for team MVP is also Donovan Mitchell for many of the same points that you've made. Um, You know, we've talked ad nauseum about the impact that this man has had on this, on this franchise in just one season. And I'm trying not to, to oversell it, but it's, it's kind of hard not to, I mean, you see, so many times where we have this transcendent season or we have this amazing season from from player A and then, you know, we just in the moment, we're not appreciating enough. I feel like that happened for so many of the seasons that LeBron had in Cleveland where we're just we get so damn used to greatness. We get so damn used to guys every night doing spectacular things where we're just like, yeah, I can miss this game. We already know Donovan Mitchell's going to, you know, do something transcendent. Uh, but to say that it's been an awesome season is an understatement. Um, Tony, who is your team MVP? It's got to be Donovan Mitchell. Um, you know, since Jackson gave us his Jalen Green confession, I'll give the <laughs> confession. Prior to the Donovan Mitchell trade, I was a little skeptical if he was a big enough upgrade over Sexton at oh, the time. Same. Now, same. I knew he was an upgrade but I didn't know that we were getting Dwayne Wade with a 30-foot pull-up jumper at the time. I didn't realize Donovan Mitchell could do all of this. He was great in Utah, and as Jackson also mentioned, he has improved quite a bit. But I'll be honest, I wasn't watching all the Utah games. The I saw, I saw Utah? plenty of – exactly. I, I saw the big you know highlights and the matchups, but the big matchups, but I wasn't watching every night. I didn't know Donovan Mitchell was this good. And – you know, so much has already been said about Mitchell that I don't think I need to repeat anything because we have you've all made some great points. I will just say I didn't realize how unique of a player he was when I mentioned Dwayne Wade with a 30-foot pull-up jumper. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just not many guards in the NBA who have his strength, his speed, his explosiveness, and his control. Like, he's Russell Westbrook if he could control his body a little better and not play out of, you know, just chaotic energy and almost too fast for himself. The only player that I could really compare him to is uh, Damian Lillard, who I think has matched a lot of that. But I think Mitchell just has more strength in, in that regard. He's a bit more of a tank going to the rim. And it's just, I mean, career high in points and efficiency. He has been the definition of greatness. He From the very moment he stepped on the floor, it was clear he was going to elevate this team to heights that they wouldn't be able to reach. And he's the reason why we feel so confident entering the playoffs, even though you know, there's definitely questions as to how far we can go if we can beat those top-tier teams. If we make it out of the first round, I'm not sure, but any fighter's chance we have is because of Donovan Mitchell and because he is an all-NBA first-team player. He should be, at least. Uh, and he's a top-ten player this year, in my opinion. I'm going to lose my shit if Donovan Mitchell doesn't get that, especially <laughs> if we don't get uh, an Evan Mobley award, which looks like we're not going to. Um, came in and had the fifth best scoring season in Cavaliers history, just set the three point record not too long ago in Cavs history with 245, which is, I believe, uh, 41 more than the next closest player, J.R. Smith. And you, you can chalk that up to maybe the ever changing landscape of the NBA and more three point shots than ever, but I'm going to chalk it up to this man. It is explosive from everywhere. I mean, the sham God, I mean, that was, that was a beautiful, play to watch in real time but to watch it on a highlight reel is just man i could watch that 10 times over but to your point tony i mean don't feel bad Corey knows i was highly skeptical of this deal at the time i felt hey you know you just we did all this draft content on you know some of these some of these top picks that the Cavs can get at 14 and then 
you know, you heading back to that draft, you see players like uh, AJ Griffin, I believe at the time was available. Uh, my boy, Tari Eason. There were so many picks that you could have had there. And then when we got Abaji, I was feeling really, really excited. And I felt like, you know, with Sexton hopefully returning because the Cavs, honestly, I felt they were low ball in Sexton. Um, our, our returning Sexton, Abaji, and just getting those bodies back, I felt like um, the Cavs could have competed. But and, and I seriously didn't feel that Donovan Mitchell would have been that big of an upgrade to um, to account for all the capital that was being shifted out, shipped out. But, man, he's made me eat those words. And I'm very, very happy to admit that, um, you know, I, I, I don't understand how anybody could look at the season that this man has had and say, hmm, I wouldn't do that deal. We all know who who wouldn't. But. You know, I, I don't see the rationale behind that, but I've harped on this long enough. So I'm going to ask Jackson, are you going to make this a consensus or do you have another player that deserves the team MVP award more? Yeah, it's uh, Donovan Mitchell. Um, probably put up the best season in Cavalier history. That's from someone not not named LeBron James. I think Mark Price's 1993 season is the only one that you Stop can there. even yeah. have like an argument about it being possibly better, but I still think Donovan's is better. So, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to co-sign everything that Tony and Max said and nothing that Corey said. <laughs> the beef is real. <laughs> the beef is certainly real. Let the record with, show me and Jackson are friends off this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it, it don't seem yes, like it. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, we've harped on Mitch long enough, so I'm going to move to something that I think that uh, Jackson had been chomping at the bit to talk about prior to recording here. And that is the most promising future role player award, in other words, termed who's got next. And that being said, the Cavs primary rotation is largely set as we head into the playoffs, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be at least a little bit excited about some of the young faces that suited up for the Cavs this year. There's Isaiah Mobley, Evan's big brother, who may not be as talented, but uh, could still end up developing into a quality rotation big. There is Jackson's guy, Sam Merrill, uh, the shooting guard out of Utah State, who the Cavs brought up from the Cleveland Charge, who just so happens to be proficient in the one skill that the Cavs lack the most, which is perimeter shooting. He knocked down over 44.1% of his triples with the Charge this year. And then there's the off-injured Dylan Windler, who is still just 26 years old and theoretically, and that's the key word, theoretically provides that same skill set to a degree. And it was a big reason why he was selected in the first round. All of this to say, who do you believe the Cavs' most promising role player will be? I'm going to go to Jackson first on this. Um, so as much as I would love to say Sam Sam Merrill, it's definitely Isaiah Mobley. Uh, getting a firsthand being like maybe the only person to like watch all of these charge games, you really get an idea of who Isaiah Mobley was at the start of the season and who he is now. He's – He's developed so much from, like, my first real experience watching Isaiah Mobley was Summer League, and he was pretty rough there. It was hard to picture how somebody like him could be, like, a viable, you know, backup option. And he's just continued to develop and continued to work into somebody who was, I think he was the best center in all of the G League. He won 
every single matchup he played against, he, you know, he improved so much on the defensive end. When he first came into the uh, G League, he really struggled on the perimeter. He really wasn't somebody who you wanted to see switch out onto a guard because he, you know, unlike Evan, he doesn't have that same quickness that Evan does. Um, but throughout the season, he became smarter in how he's closing out and kind of playing more in control. And that really helped him on the defensive end, which, you know, because his offense is really, I think his offense is really good. He's a really smart player. He's a, I think he's a better passer than Evan is. He may have more touch around the rim than Evan does. He just doesn't have the same explosiveness or the same height and same physicality. So, you know, he's not able to display that as much, but I really think Isaiah is somebody who could, he could potentially be that backup, you know, that backup big that this, that this Cavs team desperately needs. And Sam Merrill's great. I think, I think the game against Charlotte really showed how he can bend a defense, even when he's not hitting from the outside, his off ball movement is so good, but this Cavs team really needs a backup center and they don't have the resources to really, you know, spend a bunch of money or spend a lot of their mid-level on a backup center. And Isaiah Mobley, I think, could be the reason why they don't have to do that. I think that's completely valid. I mean, you look at what Mobley's been able to do in the G League this season, not necessarily with Cleveland because the opportunities just haven't been there. JB hasn't felt comfortable playing him, I don't think yet. But average 21 points, 8.6 rebounds, 4 assists, pretty big to me. And then the key thing as well, the 35.3% from three-point range. He can space the floor. And these are things that he was doing at USC, which is – you know, outside of the Mobley connection um, and making sure that you keep Evan Mobley happy a la the uh, the Antetokounmpo brother route. Um, Isaiah Mobley can really do some things out on the basketball courts that would project really well with what the Cavs need in that backup role, which is why I, too, agree with this. I think Isaiah Mobley will end up being a quality rotation big, whether that be suiting up some minutes at the four or some minutes at the five uh, as an undersized five. Um, you know, you saw some of these things, you know, come to fruition in the final couple of games of the season. I think, I think against Orlando, he showed up with three steals and two blocks and, you know, just kind of made some timely plays. And you got to take that with a grain of salt, obviously, because teams are just not playing their best players. Uh, but Mobley seems to look the part of an NBA rotation big. Tony, do you agree with this, or is there another face here that you feel better deserves who's got next? I'm still just processing that Dylan Windler's 26 years old, and he's going to be 27 at the start of the next season. It's it's crazy. Uh, Windler Island is starting to get a little dangerous here. But, no, I I have to go with (laughs) Listen – I've I've been on the downside of some of these players for a while, Lavert Island, Aquaro Island, and I've seen how quickly things can change. So I'm I'm you know holding out, but it's getting a little uninhabitable on Windler Island here. I'm not sure how much longer I'll be able <laughs> to barren wasteland. The, the boats are on their way, Tony. <laughs> I think I might have taken too long to get off of that one. I might have to die there. Dylan Windler is literally <laughs> Tom Hanks. He's castaway. I mean, that's that's literally yeah, I mean, what it is. My my time to get rescued has passed. I just I got to go down with the ship. They're ignoring here. the flares. They know it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's there with Wilson. Uh, you but, know. <laughs> uh, 
I'll go Isaiah Mobley as well. Uh, I'm not going to pretend that I watched uh, as as many charge games as I probably should have, but that's why I have Jackson <laughs> with me. He gives me all the inside coverage. And just from what I've seen from Mobley, I do think he's a very promising player. I think he has all the fundamentals that you would want from a backup big. I think he's someone who, with time and experience, could really fill out that role the way that the Cavs need it with, uh, you know, if they have the luxury of having two elite big men. They really just need someone who can fill the gaps there. And so if I had to pick something to go, you know, to give Mobley the edge and maybe take a little bit away from Sam Merrill's potential is just the fact that I do think the Cavs with their limited resources that they have will probably look to find additional shooting uh, in the off season, just in any way they can. And I would assume they just ride with Mobley and Diakite as their potential backup bigs moving into the summer. I just feel like the big situation, they'll roll with what they have and they will try to address those gaps in the shooting department. And so that could make getting into the rotation a little more difficult for Merrill. But I do think he's a very promising player too. And I, I definitely won't write him off. Uh, I think the Cavs have been doing a good job. Kobe has done a great job of trying to improve on the margins and it's not always going to work out. It's not easy to find hidden gems, but I think he's delivered on a couple promising guys that could end up making their way into the rotation. Certainly. There's a lot of guys, and they're going to need that. Honestly, they're going to need to be able to find guys that are kind of hidden here because the cap situation is it's kind of dire. Uh, at least at this point, there's not a lot of room to uh, to facilitate big-time moves, which is a lot of the reason, a big-time reason why people are so angry with Kobe with kind of standing pat at the trade deadline when you see so many of these effective players going for second rounders. Uh, you know, talk about Sadiq Bay having a big performance the other day for Atlanta, players like that. Um, it's just, for me, I'm hoping that at least one of these guys sticks. Um, hopefully it's Mobley. I, if Merrill is able to stick, that would theoretically solve some of the issue that you have off that bench for a shooting. Um, but I, I don't necessarily know that his path to minutes is going to be easier than than a guy like Isaiah Mobley's is, or perhaps even Mamadi Diakite, like you mentioned, just because of the Cavs' need at the backup four or five spots. Uh, Corey, are you going to make this a consensus as well, or do you have a definitive answer of your own? I am going to make it a consensus. I uh, think Isaiah Mobley is, I think for what the Cavs need, he will be their most promising prospect. I'm not going to also pretend I watched any charge games whatsoever but um that's also because you know it's hard to get charge games in connecticut you know there's a lot of hur- hurdles to go through and i respect the Cavs too much to watch illegal screens on reddit all right so <laughs> um you yeah, not have youtube there it's weird it's like amish <laughs> there's a lot of copper wiring you okay. know it's tough up here in new england but uh yeah no from what i saw in the preseason it was a very uh discouraging display i think from isaiah mobile you could tell he kind of looked like a fish out of water everything yeah. seemed like it was a little too fast for him and that's not what you really want to see from a player who frankly is an older prospect and we like you didn't want the tra- the the pick to seem like it was just oh it's Evan Mobley's brother and then it's like wink wink nudge nudge you'll see him <laughs> as the fifteenth person on the bench in like three years being the first person to like give like if I saw Isaiah Mobley turn into yeah the basically Thanasis yeah it's basically one of those guys where uh, if it was Thanasis I would just be and then Costas it yeah, would just I'd be, be bad <laughs> no because. 
Thanasis is the worst. He just <laughs> he doesn't realize he's on silver spoon money right now with Giannis, and he's just talking mad shit. But Isaiah, he he really did show a lot in this recent stretch, and I think we saw at least the groundwork of what he can work on because he can do as well as he can in the G League, but it, it's not going to really necessarily compare to what it's going to be like going against NBA-style bigs. At least we know he's at the cream of the crop of G League bigs, which means he should at least deserve some minutes in this upcoming next season. So I, I can't say that I think Sam Merrill's place is cemented on this team, but I would be shocked if we at least don't give Isaiah Mobley a lot of tread next season in that backup big role. One I think, thing, oh, go ahead, Jackson. Uh, just one thing I'd say about the G League, as someone who covers, you know, all these games, the the center position is the worst position in the G League. You get a lot of guys who are either, if they have size, they're too slow, and if they, you know, don't have size, like you see a lot of like six five centers trying to be like Draymond Green, so. That's where it, it becomes hard to talk about like Isaiah Mobley's 21.5 points per game because it's like, well, he got a lot of that against some smaller guys. But what makes me so excited is his development on the defensive end, not guarding centers. He did good against guys who uh, Luca Garza, uh, he was on the uh, Timberwolves G League team. He's kind of like an NBA body. Isaiah is really comfortable in, the, in a, a matchup like that. What he's not comfortable with is how the G League plays. It's like the pace in a G League game is much higher than the NBA game. There's a lot more, like everyone out there can shoot. So it's a lot of just super paced and spaced. And that's where Isaiah really struggled the most in like preseason and like summer league. And that's where we've seen the most improvements. He's now comfortable like staying with a guy for four or five seconds on the perimeter. And that's, that's what gets me most excited about who he can be. I think that's well stated. The G League certainly has seemed to work wonders for Isaiah. Um, to close out here today, um, you know, I thought it'd be a fun little exercise here to take a little bit of a walk down memory lane. And I'm going to go ahead and start off here with my favorite moment of the season thus far. Um, like I said to begin the episode, this has been a season filled to the brim with many different things, both good and bad. If I had to boil it down to one moment in particular, it would probably be absolutely undeniably Isaac Okoro's game winner. Shit was just absolutely beautiful. It was poetry in motion. And, you know, that really the cherry on top, at least in my opinion, was the was the player who dished him the pass in Karis LeVert off a very nice feed. Uh, another player who has been much maligned earlier on the season, just like Okoro has been throughout his career, to see those two connect on such a monumental play, it don't get much better than that. <laughs> I'm going to hand it off to Corey for this one. I go from a sentimentality standpoint because I went to the Boston uh, double overtime game in person with uh, with Karis and Donovan both dropping 41 and being able to look over at my friends who are Celtics fans and finally have a reason to (laughs) cheer in those games and have excitement and have people actually boo me as I leave the stadium was one of the highlights (laughs) I haven't had in quite some time. 
But uh, overall, it was just it kind of was indicative of this team, too, because they were down by, I think, 10 plus at multiple points in that game. And I was like, oh, my God, this is going to play out like every Celtics Cavs game I've gone to for like the past six years where it seems like there's a chance and they just don't do it. But Donovan Mitchell proved his worth very early on in that game. And then I funny enough, all my friends were like, oh, my God, Karis LeVert's insane. Does he like do that frequently? I'm like, no, he's probably going to score like five points next game. And he scored two. What so a hater. Was really good. What job. a hater. <laughs> but look at me now i create branding for him for the surgeons you coined that yeah <laughs> tony what's your uh what's your favorite moment of the season man the aquaro moment would have been my favorite hands down if i was not in a coma when it happened with the worst stomach oh. flu of my life i was just completely knocked out for like a full 48 hours so i remember waking up and seeing the Aquaro game winner and thinking, like, am I dreaming? Like, am I still alive? How did that just happen? <laughs> but I wasn't able to really fully appreciate it. So that's just a, a great gift from the basketball gods there that I wasn't able to see what would have been the best moment of the season. But I will go with another one, which I feel like was a, you know, maybe the best win of the season, just in terms of it feels like maybe they're closest to a statement game, which is the Memphis game, directly after we find out time. that. Yep, primetime TV, right after we found out Darius Garland will not be in the All-Star game, comes out, absolutely brings it to Memphis. Donovan Mitchell tossing Dylan Brooks to the side. I think one thing that makes that game so great is the fact that Mitchell did get tossed from that game, and the Cavs came out in the second half and continued to bring that competitiveness, that toughness. Garland didn't back down. I believe Rubio even had a great game at the end there. He had a couple of threes. It was like it was just a team win, and like I said, it, it felt like the closest thing to a true statement victory that they had all year where it came right out, right off the cuff of that really tough January stretch. And they came out and they just delivered a, a, an L to Memphis and a very competitive and hard fought game. So that would be my favorite moment. Dylan Brooks really lit a fire underneath uh, oh, yeah. the Cavs asses. And uh, you just love to see that Jackson what was your favorite moment of the season. Uh, it's, it's going to be that 71 point game. That's one of those games that, you will always remember where you were when you were watching that. And True. there's not really many moments, even in like all of Cavalier history, where you can just say, oh, yeah, I remember where I was that game. Like everyone remembers where they were game five in Detroit. Everyone knows where they were, you know, game seven against the Warriors. You know, you know where you were this game. You're going to know you're going to always, always remember that and it was really one of the best games like ever played you know he scored 71 points but he also had what was it 12 12 13 assists like yeah. he was just he um accounted for 98 points just an unbelievable game so that's that's what it's going to be for me uh honorable mention jetty's 20 point in the fourth quarter against the jazz when the Cavs were by 50 yeah, that was that's my honorable mention. <laughs> I do have to ask: Did you buy any of the seventy-one merch? No. Nope. <laughs> Good. I feel like I was. No, I didn't. I was kind of feeling left out, so I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> um, all that to say, man, it's just been a a wonderful season and one that has ended in the Cavs reaching the postseason for the first time since 2018. So. Beautiful thing here. Um, I think I speak for all of us when I say we truly need to appreciate what we have now in the moment instead of just kind of constantly moving on to the be- the next big thing. So um, 
I, I know you guys are all really chomping at the bit to get at the, the New York Knicks because we've just seen the amount of vitriol that has been thrown out by both sides. Um, I can't wait till this playoff series starts, man. Um, last thing I'll go ahead and do here is just get a prediction from each one of you because I think from day to day with every single bit of news that we consume, whether it be Isaac Okoro or Julius Randle, anything of that nature, I feel like opinions have the uh, ability to change in regards to how many games this is truly going to take. So I'm not going to ask you to elaborate on it, but I just want you to quick fire off and tell me what your prediction is for this series. Corey, I'm going to start with you first. I, uh, Funny enough, I just submitted my thing for uh, Fear of the Sword. I put Cavs in six. <laughs> Cavs in six. Tony, what you got? I've locked myself into Cavs and five at this point, so I'm just going to stick with Cavs and five. <laughs> good to know. Good to know. And Jackson, last but not uh, least. Uh, Cavs and five. Cavs and five. <laughs> <It> just <laughs> the, the beef is real. The beef is real. Um, I got Cavs in seven at this point in time. That is completely dependent upon Isaac Okoro. But like I said, uh, this should be one hell of a series. That said, like we always tell you guys, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can at it's Cavalier underscore pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and more. If you want to be added to the It's Cavalier Discord chat, you know what to do. Leave a rating, leave a review, send a screenshot to it's Cavalier 53 at gmail.com. We'll send you an invite. Have a good night.